What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as the Awakening with Dawn. And this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I'm so excited to introduce my new friend, Nina Alk. Hi, Nina. Hi. (laughs) Um, Nina is an amazing, beautiful woman. She has an important message and story to share. She's known as the London's life coach. She's a survivor of abuse and an advocate of breaking the silence. Her main objective is to support those who feel they have no choice within violent relationships and situations. And I know we're going to talk about a lot of difficult things, but you are here to help heal the world and spread love. So I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome, Nina. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Okay, so my weird uh, icebreaker question is, what's the deal with losers lunch? Lunch for losers. <laughs> well, you know, it's something that it, we have a different theme every week. And the thing about losers is that we're all losers. We've all lost something in life. So it's how you perceive that word. Uh-huh. It could be that you've lost somebody that you love. It could be that you lost the old you even, and you've now created a new you. So it's really how you want to put it into perception, but it's always controversial. The topics are always very controversial on the clubhouse room. But like do, tomato, tomato. Yeah. And that was really about perception as well and how you see, but then it doesn't have to be. It could be even just that people pronounce things differently, but that doesn't matter that we're all one. So it's, it's a really nice accumulation of people from all around the world, which is why I love clubhouse. Yeah. And you get to hear about different people's perceptions and things and sometimes it relates to a story like the tomatoes tomatoes could relate to the story of you know somebody that's looked at a situation and then gone away and realized that actually it wasn't as bad as they thought or they they were in the wrong and, and just knowing that sometimes we all make mistakes we're all losers sometimes and we just need to admit to it so that we become better people mm-hmm. yeah so, because of because of course the the first thing I saw was like Oh, because a lot of people think they are losers, you know, not just I lost somebody, but I'm a loser. I'm not enough. I'm, you know, sort of this negative self-talk that many of us do. Um, I don't, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about because. Self-sabotage is something that without realization we're doing when we say I'm too tired in the morning. We started, (laughs) we've started that negative talk. Right. But the room actually is such a great safe space for people that have, had any traumas and the panel is amazing we've got some amazing entrepreneurs some amazing life coaches some amazing strategic coaches and business coaches so you're getting all of this accumulated knowledge and love from Mm. people from all around the world that are there for you so whoever comes into that room normally 100% leaves feeling so much better Mm. and you don't always need to talk because sometimes when you hear about somebody else's story you resonate and you know that there's other people out there that have gone through what you you may still be going through or have gone through, and it makes you feel not so alone. So it's it's an amazing space, and I love being involved because I just feel that we get to help, as I said, one person at a time, which is great for us. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole reason of my podcast is to share these stories of struggles and how people overcame them, because I think, I think 
our our culture, you know, our society has all has been sort of the the Instagram and you know yeah. Snapchat. I'm going to show my perfect life, as yeah. a, you know, as opposed to you know, I take a picture of me smiling, and yet you know, five yeah. minutes ago I was on the floor crying, and yeah. yet we don't talk about these because we want to feel like you know we want to show or appear that we have our yeah. life together, and that and and exactly. so. We all struggle with the same thing. No, you are completely right. But a good friend said to me not long ago, it's okay not to be okay. And we're all yeah. human. Yep. We all have bad days. We have good days. And like yep. you said, we could be crying a couple of hours ago and now we're here smiling. Yeah. And we do have that. We do have that facade. We do have, have that pressure upon society that we should look perfect. But what is perfect? And that's the sort of things that we talk about in Lunch with the Losers. What is perfection? And who is perfection? Um, I'm a great believer that we should be unapologetically ourselves because yes. once we agree with ourselves and we make that commitment to ourselves that I, this is me, I love me, I love my hair, I love everything about me, then you start to project that love and you want everyone else to be loved. And that's when you're a lot more freer than you are trying to fit in because what are you trying to fit into? <laughs> I know. I, it's so funny because all the, all the time people are like, I want to fit in and who who with who i mean we're all so unique and yet we especially i'm just thinking because i have kids um i know you have kids too it's like especially like in middle school it's like they want to be with the cool crowd well who defines the cool crowd yeah i think that's part of growing up and growing up pains and it's that also imposed upon them from society from instagram from snapchat from all the social medias but clubhouse is the first social media app that i've come across that is very endearing. It's got a very um, heartwarming mm-hmm. type of aura in there. And most rooms you go into, you can come out feeling like you've learned something. People are giving away so much free advice. They're teaching you how to network. They're teaching you how to grow your Instagram. They're almost inspiring you to do well in your business. And if you don't have a business, you're almost inspired to create a business. Right. So there's a lot of positives. There's a lot of positives. Yeah. So how old are your kids? My eldest daughter, she's 27. She's just graduated. She's a dentist. Wait, she's your sister, not your daughter. <laughs> no, we get that. I think I've got a um, dysfunctional genetic thing. I think <laughs> I don't seem to be aging. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Maybe I smile a lot and that's what it is. And I've got a 23-year-old son. He's going to be graduating to become a doctor in a year or two, depending on if he adds on education. That's what they wow. say to do. And my younger son's 21. He's an absolute gorgeous star. So I've got my three stars. <laughs> yeah. I, kids, how have kids changed you? Um, when I got pregnant with my daughter, I had gone through so much of a struggle in life that I didn't actually know my purpose or had any reason to really want to be on this earth. I knew that there was a reason I was surviving all of the things that were thrown at me, but I wasn't really aware of what they were. And the day I had my, my daughter, and a lot of parents out there would resonate with this, I felt this surge of love and surge of purpose that I was going to give her everything I didn't have. I was going to give her all the love that I never got. And she almost gave me a reason to keep living. And all three of them have had their effects on me in different ways. But I have done everything that I've done for them because I've wanted to. Because I think as a parent, you are responsible for giving that child love 
attention, keeping them safe and giving them the giving them that security, which is what I'm working on now, trying to buy a house. And I will at the end of the year, I keep manifesting that. I want to give them that sense of security because I'm a mother foremost and I'm not from an extended family. So the children literally just have me and they don't have anybody else. Wow. So that is a slightly more pressure upon me, but I, I take that pressure. I'm, I'm happy to own that pressure. Um, but the children, they're amazing. And I've loved I've loved mothering them foremost. I've loved, you know, watching them grow up and their little moments and their triumphs and watching how they've developed. And every mother sees their children through rose-tinted glasses, but I'm quite realistic. And I know that they're not perfect, but then considering what they've done and what they've achieved, um, they've they've soldiered through and I'm really proud of them. Mm-hmm. How, how were you mothered growing up? Well, I was... Actually, I had a very difficult childhood. I was born into a family that didn't want a daughter because my culture prefers boys. And being born a girl, I suffered from gender abuse, not just in the house, within the society. I was told by a aunt that I was left in my pushchair for days unfed, that my nappy wouldn't be changed. And she said after three or four days, my mother had kept shunning everyone not to come near me as though I was a devil's child or a witch as they called me. But um, I stopped crying and I started playing with my own little shadows and things and whatever I could see. And I became happy within my own mind because I didn't know any better. But when I grew up, um, I literally looked after myself. So by the age of six, I was cooking for the household, doing all the chores. At they six? Would, at six. So they would call me down. I can remember it very clearly. My brother or my mother would stand at the bottom stairs and shout up to me <laughs> to come down, not in a nice way. It was always very assertive. Mm-hmm. I would rush downstairs, um, my two little ponytails that had been there for weeks, you know, all scraggly hair, and get to cooking or doing the laundry because we had no washing machines back, <laughs> back in the day. So mm-hmm. I was just looking after the household the best I knew. And it was a very unloved childhood because I was not able to join in with the others. I was restricted from coming out of my room unless I was needed. So the segregation... Did you just have one one brother? No, I had two older brothers. So it's confusing for people when they say, well, why weren't your parents happy? Because they had two sons already. But it's just, it's a cultural thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a cultural thing for them to believe. And it's very... It's very prominent in Asians, and I'm going to use a very wide scope of covering all of Asia because it's so true to that culture and that belief system that it's good to have a boy, but, oh, if you have a daughter, oh, we don't want a daughter. How, so do, it, how, does, how do the generations um, continue if you don't have girls? Yeah. Well, exactly, but they're having that problem now, you see. They're having that problem, I won't say which country, but they're having that problem because they limited people to having um, only one child, a family. So everybody wanted sons, and now there's very few daughters. So it's a problem of them carrying on that, that generation to another generation. They're not able to do it. So it doesn't. there's no balance. It's the yin and yang, isn't there? Right. But, Right. For whatever reason, I was always told I was not good enough. I was beaten. I was starved to effect because I wasn't really allowed to eat. Um, only recently, I'm going to be really brave and say that I realized I have a very bad association with food mm-hmm. because I was never really allowed to eat. And when I was really, really young, I think I was about three or four, I've got memories of me eating soil. 
from earth, <laughs> from the garden, because I thought it was food, only to realise it wasn't. And the only thing I could sneak upstairs into my bedroom was a chocolate bar, which <laughs> sounds really bad, but that was the only thing I could get away with. So it would keep me going for a while. So I, had to, I do, it's something I'm addressing. It's something I'm trying to face. But to answer your question, childhood for me, and I didn't know any different, remember, it was right. traumatic, it was abusive, and it was a very lonely time. I didn't have, I just had myself and books. I developed my love for books during childhood. Um, that was your escape, probably. It was my escape. Yes, we all have one. Some people have music, some people have exercise. Dance, dance. Yeah, dance. yeah. yeah. but it was, um, it was, it wasn't, it was not uncommon for a daughter to be treated the way I was treated in that time because, so, of her, because she was a girl. So did you have friends at school? It was very difficult for me to make friends because I wasn't interacting with the family. So my social skills were actually quite bad. Uh At school, I was quite a repressed, shy, scared child. And I would turn up dirty, not clean, with my hair scraggly. So nobody really wanted to associate themselves with me. I did make two very good friends. And one of them still talks to me now. So I'm really pleased about that from the age Mm -hmm. of 11. We just connected and we haven't let go of one another she she makes my childhood memories better uh, because she I wasn't allowed to watch television so she would teach me songs and I would learn all about the programs and all of the normal things that other children were watching she would teach me Uh um I knew a lot of the audio of the programs during childhood because I would literally press my ear against the bedroom door and really sort of close my eyes and try and listen Mm -hmm. and I'd had such a large imagination. I would imagine I was sitting on the on the sofa with my brothers and I was pushing them and playing as I would watch them doing if I was taking them food or a snack and they would call me down. Mm-hmm. So I, I used to pretend, but it was hurtful. And it I don't hurt anymore, but it was really hurtful to know that I wasn't good enough for them. And that's a word that I'm using deliberately because so many people feel that they aren't good enough. Mm-hmm. And... They're, they're told that or they just are made to feel that. And it's something that really affects your self-esteem and your self-love. So, yeah, so childhood was a real struggle. So, so when did you start to make a transition of recognizing that you were worthy of love? The truth of that is I only realized that five and a half years ago. I keep saying six because I like to round things off, but... When I became what, what happened? What happened? I became homeless. Um, my ex-partner, my former partner, had tried to um, kill me a few times, so I had quite a few murder attempts on my life. Things like he'd set my pillow on fire as I slept. The end that made us leave, the choices were taken away from me, which I think I needed. And my younger son was so brave, he spoke out at school. Um, it was an incident where... We were asleep on the sofa and I didn't sleep because of my insomnia, which had been caused because whilst I was asleep, he, like I said, Mm -hmm. yeah. So for that reason, I had a very bad sleeping pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, And also something I'm not really spoken about on any other podcast. He used to lock us in our rooms. He had this obsession with us escaping. So I used to hear because you're, it's amazing. It's like how you're hyper vigilant. Yeah, so much so. And I would hear him lock the door at 11 p.m. and I would hear him unlock the door at 5, p- 5 a.m. So even now, if I do sleep, 5 a.m., I'm awake. <laughs> it's just one of those things. But I 
really struggled with sleeping. So my daughter knew that I had a problem with sleeping and he'd sent her a photo on his phone, literally saying, I'm sorry, which she, you know, her spider senses were just going crazy. And she knew there was something terribly, terribly wrong. So she called every phone in the house to try and wake me up. And I wasn't waking up. And she was getting really upset. And she had a friend also ringing. And it just got to a point where eventually she woke me up. And when I answered... So they weren't, they weren't living with you at the time? No, it was just... Sorry, no, it was just my son, my youngest son and myself. Okay. My daughter was at university. She was studying. And my other son I had sent to boarding school because his father had actually um, abused him, physically abused him. And I didn't want him or my other son to become part of the abuse. You know, mm-hmm. the, the mental abuse was enough for them. I didn't want the physical abuse to also come into that. So I, I thought of a solution, which I thought was the right thing at the time. But as parents, we do the best we can. Right. And I'm beating myself up anymore. But I sent him off to boarding school, which meant having to create the money to pay for that as well. And it was just myself and my youngest son. And, and he'd just come out of hospital. You know, he'd had operations several operations because he was so poorly and so he was so what he had several operations my son my youngest son he was very because ill why poorly. Oh, right. oh poorly okay poorly. yeah sorry it's my accent isn't it? so, <laughs> no it's okay I was like is that some condition poorly. I haven't heard of no, yes, no, he suffers from Crohn's disease but at the time oh, okay. they couldn't work out what it was and uh-huh. he just had to have quite a lot of um he went under you know, anesthetic and they had to perform a few operations, but he was, he was there for a good while. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he lost a lot of weight and he was, he was ever so sick. He was very sick. Well, I would imagine the stress of the house. Yeah. I think the stress was too much because it was just him left with me. It was just mm-hmm. the two of us, just me and him. So suddenly they'd gone, it, it, he had lost his buffer, his brother, Mm-hmm. And he had nobody. He just used to have to absorb it all himself. Whereas if there were two of them, they would talk and try to disconnect from what was going on, mm-hmm. from from me being beaten or me being shouted at. But he couldn't disconnect because there was no way of him switching off. So it was really difficult. Looking back, it's a very difficult time for him. And he, he got sick and he went and we, like I said, we came out of hospital. And my ex-partner, my former partner sent this picture of us both asleep, but my daughter knew I don't sleep. I don't just don't sleep. Mm-hmm. So cut a long story short, she did wake us up. And when I went into the kitchen to get some water, because my throat felt so dry, I saw that he switched on every tap on the stove, on the cooking stove, and the house was full of gas. And I didn't really know what to do. And I'm a little bit ashamed to say I didn't leave because I was so scared. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally lifted my son up and took him upstairs into the bedroom and I closed the door out of fear because fear takes away all of your ability to do something simple, a simple thing you can't do. If someone's screaming and shouting at you and and you're trying to pick a glass up, you you will literally drop that glass because you're so scared. Mm -hmm. Um, And what happened was we just were forced to leave because social services stepped in when they heard that his life was at risk and he was still under 16. And in the United Kingdom, if you're under 16, it's a very serious thing for someone trying to take your life. It is at any age, but especially a minor. So he spoke up at school and everything happened very quickly. We weren't allowed to take anything with us, no bank cards because we could be tracked. The police were involved. We were a high case. 
we were a high privileged case because it wasn't the first time we tried to do this. So they did their utmost to protect us. And they came in, a friend, somebody came in with them, somebody that we knew, we didn't know her too well, but we knew her from the school and we were, we were removed from the home, but we didn't take anything with us really. We, I took a coat, my son would take a coat because it was a, it was a spring, I think it was September, so it was quite a warm day. But when we ended up in the emergency accommodation, there, were, there was no bedding. It was, a, it was an empty shell. Um, there was a bed, but the bed had a lot of, it had bed, bed bugs. <laughs> and it was in a very bad disre- disrepair. The accommodation that we were given had human excrement mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the smell of it was so much so that your stomach turned. Mm. No carpet wasn't sodden and wet from urine. So it really wasn't the most suitable place for us to go after no. such trauma to be then dumped there and told to get on with it without any money for heat or electric. But that night I wrapped my son up and I lay him down and I sat in the other room. And it's the first time I think I probably cried from my heart you know that type of cry and I'm sure you've done it Dawn many of us have where you are shaking you're sobbing you're you're trying not to make noise and you're shaking but you know that you've hit a certain point when you get to that Mm -hmm. despair and I vowed that I would not be I wouldn't let him live in a condition like that I would get us out I would do something I would get back on my feet I knew that I had all of them the right mindset to not be stuck there I knew that I had to do it for him and as a parent you're responsible so I wanted comforts for him I, I missed my home comforts even though it wasn't a safe house right. I wanted them but then I also told myself look you're one step closer you're not there but you're one step closer to where you were and to get into where you should be. You want to step closer to freedom to be able to sit somewhere and just relax and not be on, on walking on eggshells. So that was my moment of understanding that life was happening for me. All the things I'd gone through was happening to teach me things, to, to make me stronger, to make me resilient, to make me determined. And I started to actually love who I was. I started to love my my resilience and the fact that I was a good mother. I've never questioned if I've been a good mother. Sometimes I've questioned my decisions, but mm. all in all, I feel I've been the best mother I could have been with, with what I knew. And I did start to love me as a person. I started to understand more about me. And that's where my self-love journey started. And I'm still growing, but I am at a stage where I'm, I'm actually really light. And if that makes any sense, I feel so light. I have no weight on my shoulders. I, I can silly things. I can walk into my garden and not worry about how long I'm going to be out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's little pleasures for me. It's not huge gestures. It's the small things that make me happy. <laughs> Being able to listen to the, the song of the birds in the morning and just walk out or just to get a cup of tea and just sit and not have to worry about who's going to ring and that I have to be somewhere if I'm being watched. You know, when you've been watched for 23 years in a relationship, it really does take a toll on you. And I'm, I'm so in love with my new life, as I call it, that I want this for everybody else. I want this happiness, this freedom, this zest for life. 
And I just am trying my best to be able to get the message across to those who need to hear it the most. I I have to ask, Nina, because I think this is common for, yeah. for, for outsiders to say, why didn't you just leave? Of course, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, there are so many, so many people, you know, mo- mostly women. Yeah. Um, there are some men, but... But so many women who are stuck in these abusive relationships yeah. and people say, why don't, why don't you just pack yeah. your bags and leave? Definitely. And, and if I'm being honest, a few people did ask me. I didn't have very much interaction with other people, but one or two people from the school, because I worked at the school on a voluntary basis, it was my escape, actually. Some of them did say, this isn't normal, because he would turn up sometimes and just stand and watch what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And they would say, it's not normal. This isn't normal behavior. And I'd say... The thing is, you start to make excuses. You make excuses to yourself. You make excuses for somebody else's bad behavior because you don't think you deserve better. You think there's no choice. And I've come from a family. And you have a saying over there, like a bad penny. And abuse followed me like a bad penny. And that mentality that I had of not deserving any better became so much so my reality that I didn't understand I had a choice at any point. Yeah, that was your identity. Yeah, I could have walked out the door at any point with my children and I had the choice, but I didn't know I had the choice. I believed he made the decisions, he had the choice. And the funniest thing is I was the one working, I was the one paying the bills, I was the one taking care of the children. He, he wasn't doing any of those things? No, he didn't he didn't do any of those things. Wow. So it's it's almost like a blindness that you have that you don't see the actual reality because you're so engrossed in it. And when you're so engrossed in something, that is your reality. It's like if I was to hold an object and say, hey, Dawn, this is red and it's not. And you're saying, no, it's not. After the 12th time, you'll start to wonder if I say, oh yeah, it's red. Maybe maybe it's a bit red. And then you become to believe it is red. And you are, you know, he was a narcissistic person and they are very manipulative and you Mm -hmm. start to feel guilt and you think, I can't leave him because he said he'll kill himself. I can't leave him because he said he'll kill me. I can't leave him because he said he'll kill the children. So you are so all this. It's all this manipulation and fear tactics, right? Yeah, it's very difficult. So somebody that's out there that's in that situation, this is why I'm so, so driven to say to them that you do you know, I've been there. You do have a choice. It's a box you've created for yourself. That you're sitting in and you're trapped and you don't need to be trapped. There's a whole world out there. You know, get living and, and more so for the children. You know, I can't undo what's happened to mine. I can't take those memories away. I can't take away the trauma that they've endured because they have watching your mother being treated badly does take an effect on the children and they suffer mm-hmm. from guilt. They suffer from all sorts of emotions, right? but they don't need to. And I couldn't, I couldn't help mine. Maybe I could help somebody else's. So if you're not going to do it for yourself, because you don't think you deserve it, at least think about those children that do. Well, and, and I think that's the thing. Why don't we think about it for ourselves? <clears throat> because it be, I mean, this is the thing. I, I mean, I stayed in my relationship for 27 years. It wasn't physically uh-huh. abusive, but very verbally and emotional, psychologically, you know, there's all this stuff. And, and I said, what do I want my kids to learn? You yeah. know, and Dawn, I mean, psychological abuse and, and mental abuse is far worse than physical abuse. It is because those things they're ingrained in your, in your mind and you take them away with you. 
if and they're invisible to the outside world. Very much so. You're completely right with that statement because I was told I wasn't pretty, that I was too fat, that no man would want me. And you start to believe these things. And That's I did it. a way to, to control you and to keep you afraid and, you know, like mani- right. manipulate you. Manipulation. But I believed it. I believed everything I was told because I was told it over and over again. Mm-hmm. So mental abuse, I think it's harder to heal from than physical abuse because once you're, and this sounds terrible because I wouldn't wish it upon anybody because it's not a nice thing to go through. But when someone beats you or pushes you or punches you or kicks you, a day or two later, that bruise will start to lighten, that pain will start to reside and you can move on. But mental abuse stays with you through decades, through life. Some people never heal from it. Some people push it under the carpet. Some people don't know how to heal from it. So it's a far worse emotional trauma to endure than a physical one, I think. That's my well, personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think people get stuck. I mean, it, it, could, it, could, um, <clears throat> it could be from your present situation. It could also be from your past, you know, like the, the way that you were treated growing up, <clears throat> that you were, hold on just a second, sorry, that you were treated in, in a way <clears throat> that said your your only value is in serving everybody else. You that's know, right. And that's what I've known. always, I've been a nurturer all my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so how do you learn to nurture yourself when you have had other people not yeah. care for you, not show you what it feels like, what it looks like? It's a real struggle because all I, I have always looked after everybody. And I know sometimes I say things now, which I never used to. And I say, Oh, you know, I'm always looking after everybody and I'd like someone to look after me. I, I sometimes imagine how nice that would be for someone to make me a cup of tea or to, when I'm down, to come and give me a bit of a boost or lift or to actually take me out for dinner. You know, it's something I've always done. I've always, I'm the feeder. I'm, I'm the one with the solutions. If you've got a problem and you come to me, I'll say to you, right, let's sit down, tell me what's wrong. Let's find a strategy to get you out of your situation. And, and I'm very very good at that so because of that it maybe makes me feel needed also but I like to I like to help and it's something I do willingly but I do now think I'm ready for receiving and I've learned a lot from my family as I call them on lunch with losers they've been teaching me also Nina it's good to receive in your you know and it's it's good to receive because you've given so much so now it's your time to also receive Whereas before I would feel quite guilty if someone right. wanted to do something for me, I'd be like, oh gosh, no, 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 I can do that. I've got it covered. I'll sort myself out. Even if I'm struggling, right. but I am learning to use, I am learning to use my voice, my actions, my mannerisms to ask for things, which is a slow pro- progress, but, but, it, but it is a, it's a slow, but surely, you know, we'll get, I'll get there in the end. Well, I, I think that, um, I think many women find themselves in that situation where they use <clears throat> all of their ma- masculine energies, which is I take care of it. I'm giving, I'm doing, I'm striving, I'm pushing, I'm figuring it out because that's your sense of control. You know, yeah. that's your sense of I'm creating um, sort of safety and a familiar more comfortable environment uh, for myself because I haven't received that in the past yeah I think I'm I think part of my personality is very driven anyway I always want to our family motto used to be be the best you can be with the gifts that you have and I've always wanted for myself and my children 
to use whatever tools they have, whatever they have within them at their full potential. Um, I like to achieve. I'm an achiever. I like to create something from nothing. I actually am really proud that I'm sitting in a beautiful home at the moment. Even though it's rented, it's not my home, which is fine. It's okay. It's a step towards me buying a house. Whereas before I had nowhere to live, whereas I had nothing. I didn't have... I didn't have a chair to sit on. So I have literally started from zero. And I'm proud of that. And it's a good feeling to know that you're able to achieve that. And I've left luxuries behind that I wouldn't even want now because I've got better than my things and I've done them myself again. But some and you like, And you have a sense of peace. So much so. And that this is why I was saying that luxuries to different people, their perceptions are different. And I am a bit of a car freak. I love my cars. I don't know why I'm like this, but I love a car engine and I love the feel of a car. It's, I, think it's, I think it's a sense of freedom when you can just, it's just you and the car. And people that drive and understand that will understand where I'm coming from. But Do so you want to be like an indie car race, race car driver? No, I think more of a Grand Prix type. <laughs> yeah, the way I take corners, I don't know if I'd actually cope with that. But um, that's, that's just another subject. <laughs> another side of me. But no, but I... I want nice things for my children naturally but I'm not so I'm not about being pretentious I'm not about labels I'm not about trying to fit in as we spoke about earlier but little things for me are amazing I still have to go to Starbucks because I want my name written on the cup and I want them to say Nina <laughs> it's those little things and a friend took me to play pool for the first time I'd never played pool Things like this, I'm um, not, I've not actually, so I'm almost like a child in a woman's body that's uh-huh. just discovering everything for the first time. And I'm ex- I get overly excited because they're new to me and we were never allowed to go out. We were never allowed to do anything. We were very restricted with our socializing. So mm-hmm. cinema now is a big thing. I love that. I know with the pandemic, things are closed and we can't do them, but these little things make me really happy from within. And I don't need huge things, huge gestures, gestures, because I'm happy with the, the little things. Like I said, I'm, I'm very much in love with Mother Nature. So for me to be able to go out into my garden and the grass is so beautifully green at the moment and just to be able to stand there and just earth, because I'm very much about grounding and earthing and just to meditate even out there without anybody shouting or screaming, the calmness mm-hmm. is a luxury. It really is. Yeah. I, I feel like that is part of our journey, part of our self-love journey, you know, because we because we grow up or we have these experiences that make us feel anxious or unsafe or, you know, like not trusting in anybody else, uh, you know, around us or you're having a difficult time <clears throat> and and really and really part of what y- you have done. Um, you know, by leaving is giving, is freeing yourself, you know, freeing yourself so that you can feel peace and you can create your own sense of safety and security, not only for yourself, but for your kids. It's a, it's an ongoing journey, Nina. Definitely. Yeah. I do feel that I'm improving every day in myself. I'm so able to help others and I have to be able to help myself. Otherwise I don't think I'm really being true to the people that I'm giving to. I don't want to be hypocritical and I don't want to be saying to somebody, this is what you need to do because I I know that's the right thing. I need to be able to practice it myself, Mm -hmm. which I am doing. So I've really grown in the last, I would say even four months, I've grown so much so Mm -hmm. that 
it's contagious in the sense of I want to sort of pass it on to everyone. And I described it yesterday to somebody that I almost feel like my heart is in your heart and I'm there to sort of warm you up and, and make you love yourself. And that's how I feel because I'm overwhelmed with this feeling of love and giving. Yeah, I, I think that's what happens when you discover the love within you. Yeah. You know, that, that it's reflected everywhere else around you. And so when you feel that sense of deep connectivity with yourself and with your source, um, and then it, then it reaches out to the rest of the world. I mean, I think that this last year, I hope, has caused people to really reflect on what's meaningful and what's important in life, you know, because because our freedoms have been so restricted um, and because, you know, who cares what you wear? <laughs> you know, everybody's sitting in sweatpants at home. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, all these little superficial things that don't really matter. It's like, who are you connecting with? How are you, um, how are, how are you feeling the sense of beauty and joy? Like, you know, with, planes not flying and cars not driving as much you know there's been a clearing of the air and of the water and the earth you know the earth it's like a whole reset for all of us to say how are we connected you know when you were talking at the beginning about our different perspectives we're okay we have different perspectives and yet we all experience the same emotions we all bleed red blood you know we all experience fear and doubt and insecurity as well as love and connection and peace but it's like you i saw on one of your instagram posts it was this beautiful almost like mandala looking thing of to think is to feel to feel is to radiate and to radiate is to i forget what the last one said but how you create right Mm -hmm. To radiate is how you create. And so you've had a really challenging journey, Nina. Yeah, but I wouldn't change it. And I was asked yesterday, actually, on Clubhouse, somebody said, what would you say to your five-year-old self? Mm -hmm. And I think they expected me to want to change my life. And I may have come across a little um, very matter-of-fact, but I think that's just my mannerisms at times. And I did say, I'm I'm not trying to upset you, but... I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change one step because I wouldn't be who I am. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't had the abusive relationship with my family and left an arranged marriage, I wouldn't have met the father of my three amazing children. I wouldn't have run away to find myself the way I have had he not been the way he was. So everything happens for a reason. And Tony Rodriguez is always saying it happens for you, not to you. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the people in, in Lunch with Losers. And it's such a true statement because I understand I was tested. And I do believe in God. And I believe that God tests those he loves the most. So I do feel love. I do feel love from a higher source. I may not have been loved from my parents or my partnership that I had with my former partner but I feel loved. I feel love from my children. I feel love from strangers and I feel love from me, mother nature. Mm-hmm. It's all around us. If we actually look for something, we'll find it, but we're so tunnel vision. We don't see it. 
Yeah. So I, I believe that my journey was purposeful. There was a reason. Every step had to happen. And it had to happen for me to understand the pain of somebody else so that I can resonate with them. The agony of somebody, the people that maybe don't, didn't, I thought I was taught the strength. I was taught the resilience. I was taught the self-love and the self-worth so that I can pass that knowledge on. That's how I feel. I feel that my story is traumatic. It's true. But then whose isn't? We all suffer from some sort of trauma or grief. And there's no competition with how much grief you've had and I've had. Right. I resonate with anybody's grief because I wouldn't belittle anybody's feelings because, and I've said this a thousand times, only that person knows how they feel. Mm -hmm. And I'm not in a position to say, oh, that's nothing. I've had this because that's not who I am. I would understand, I would listen that their pain is their pain. And we all suffer. We all do. It's part of life. It's part of being human. It is. But then also the opposite of that is the joy that comes. So even though you may be suffering now, you may be living in this moment, the better times will come because they're out there, but you have to change something. So unless you change what where you are now, unless you make a choice, a difference, you'll stay in that place. You'll stay in that box, as I keep calling it. Someone referred to a friend, a lovely friend referred to a caged animal in a zoo and how that person's trapped in the zoo and they can't get out. And it's almost like prisoning yourself. We create almost a prisoner ourselves of our beliefs. And a lot of people use the word limiting beliefs. I don't want to use that. I want to use the fact that we do create this box, this prison, and it's down to you to break those walls down and say, I want to live. I want to be loved, but no one's going to do it for you. You have to do that. You have to say literally top of your voice you have to say hey look at me I'm here and I'm a good person and I want to love you and I want to be loved and yeah. it starts with you it starts within it starts with your choices it's so it's so funny that you brought that up because I was um on somebody else's podcast last week and we were talking about the the analogy of the cage and she yeah. and she and she said you know oh well you have the key and I and I said actually the door's always, the door's always yeah. been open, you know, but what's outside, because even, yeah. even when you were talking about your situation, it's like, even though it was uncomfortable, um, it was familiar. And I think yeah. a lot of people are afraid because when you, when you open out of the cage and you spread your wings to fly, you know, of course you're afraid of falling. You don't know what's on the other side. You don't know what it's going to be like, because all you know is what you have experienced. But, but it's when you're in the cage, it's like you are withdrawn into yourself, right? And, and once you step out, and expand and spread your wings, it's like, that's when you can fully be free, fully expressed, and, um, and see all the unlimited possibilities of what's available in the world. Yeah, definitely. I always use the phrase sea of opportunities out there waiting for you. It's just a case of you getting there and dropping, dropping those anchors to allow yourself to move into the sea and just sail away. But the thing is that you're completely right saying that it's a comfort because it's all you know. So it's it's something that's comfortable in your discomfort. Yeah. So it's, it's the familiarity of it. It's the, not wanting to change, not wanting to set, it's like losing weight. I'm going to use that as an example. You have to 
actually do something to lose weight. There's no, there's no point thinking about it or talking about it until you take an action. It's going to stay the same. And that's the same thing as, as everything in life. But it's very difficult to leave a partnership, whether it's a good partnership or bad, because when emotions are involved, you're very tied into your very, um, your mind tells you things that are not so cut and dry. Your emotions are more holding on to that person or holding on to a place or holding on to their family or, you know, and it's also cultural things. People don't leave cultural relationships because of what people will say, what will people do? I mean, mm-hmm. I had an attempted honor killing on my life and the word honor and killing just don't go. I was going to say that there's such a paradox. It is, but that's, that's the actual word for it. And that's just another subject, but you feel that you, you feel that you're stuck in a situation because there's just so many elements of emotion going on around your head and you, you get that fight or flight syndrome and mm-hmm. do you fight, do you fight to get out of it or do you, you know, you just sit there and a lot of people take the easy option. And for me, I freeze, thought, fight, flight, or freeze. Fight or, fight or flight. I don't know. Fight, I think, flight, or freeze. Okay. I think over here we say fight or flight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fight or flight. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so for me, it was more about I thought I was doing the right thing, having the children in their home and giving them that stability. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll think about leaving them when they go to university. I'll think about it later on. And I was always putting it off mm-hmm. and until it got to a point where the choice was taken away from me and the choice was made for me. But looking back, I should have left a long time ago. I can't change it. I can't go back. And I'm definitely not going to keep going back and forth revisiting it. It doesn't serve me. So I've accepted it. But I would like for other people to understand earlier that they can, they have a choice. It's not easy. And if there's support out there, a lot of people do have support. Mm -hmm. It's also about saving face for them, which I don't really care what people think about me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking so freely. Right. But people do care. People do care that their parents have said, oh, he's not going to turn out to be a good one. And they've gone against it and married him anyway. And then he's turned out to be exactly what the people could see. The parents can see it because they're not involved. Their emotions are detached. Mm -hmm. So they can see directly and see what a person's like from the outside. But when you're stuck in that, you can't. And my ex-partner used to say he would kill himself. He would say he would kill himself. He would kill me. And when you've been through some of the trauma that I went through with him, the whole setting my pillow on fire, the whole strangulation that I used to go through, you would constantly throw me down the stairs. You believe that person. You believe he's capable of that. Mm -hmm. So you are almost scared for your life. You're not realizing that the solution is to leave and get out, but you just stay. And I am a very loyal person. I've always been thoughtful to the other person as opposed to recognizing that he was actually a monster, not a man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was completely disconnected from himself and his source. And so do you, um, I, I was wondering, you know, if you carried some, uh, if you've carried some guilt or shame and like, how did you come yeah. to a place of forgiving yourself for yeah. the choices you made um, and, and coming back to this place of, you know, even when you are in the midst of it, you don't think this is for me, <laughs> but coming to this place of forgiveness and acceptance and, and really loving your own journey and accepting where you are right now, knowing that you're creating a better life for yourself and your kids. You see, I didn't date my partner for 23 years. I just ended up there because I was running away from my parents who were trying to kill me. 
So it wasn't a situation where we got to know one another and learned about one another before we moved in. I literally just turned up and ended up moving in, getting drunk, admittedly, went to a party, never drunk before, got drunk, and nine months later I had my daughter. Mm, so it was wow. a situation that was kind of just evolved, but it wasn't it wasn't a chosen, nothing was really chosen. It just happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And things happen deliberately, as I keep saying. You know, there's no, there's no chance things, they happen for a reason. Um, I didn't feel guilty at any point in my relationship with him because I did, I, I was a really good partner. I did everything and I did everything the best I could, even when I shouldn't have done it, I did it. The things I feel guilty for are not recognizing that my children weren't safe because if somebody set my pillow on fire, they could have set my children's pillow on right. fire or my right. daughter. And it was just looking back now as a parent, I wasn't vigilant enough because I thought I was the only person he was picking on. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand the mental abuse that was going on with the whole relationship. You know, silly things like if the remote control was moved at the position and the children would panic that he was coming back if he'd gone out and the remote control had to be back on the table in the right place. It was silly things like that, but it's not healthy for a child. So that guilt has been hard for me to let go of. The hardest guilt is for me, it's my youngest son that I felt I let him down when he needed me most and I didn't listen. And I would say to parents, listen to your children when they speak to you. I became so busy trying to work towards paying for boarding school, paying for university, paying for his school, that I forgot to be there in the moment with him when he needed me. And he was trying to tell me something and I did not listen which unfortunately led to depression and other things, which is his story. But I feel bad for that. I feel with myself, I feel that I let myself down and I didn't use my intuition to zone in that he needed me. And for him to go to a place like that, which was not fit for anybody to live without food, you know, he asked me for pizza one day and I had literally, I think, five pounds change in my pocket And I said to him, well, we can have hot water or we can have heat if you want, or we can have the money, we'll buy you a small pizza. And he wanted a pizza. I bought it for him, don't get me wrong, but the fact that I couldn't afford to keep him warm and he would go to school unwashed, he would go to school dirty. And I didn't want that because it's history repeating itself almost for me. I was watching him being dirty the way I used to turn up to school dirty and and clean and he'd smell because I didn't have deodorant for him, I had nothing. So that makes me feel guilty. That makes me feel like I didn't do what I should have done as a good parent, but I'm not beating myself up about it anymore. I'm accepting that I did my best. I made made some mistakes and I have made some misjudgments, but I myself was struggling and I just didn't do the right things at times. And for my other son, the one that was, you know, the one that was sent to boarding, he didn't really get choice of going to boarding he was whisked away from his family he loved boarding he met some of his best friends but he felt an immense amount of guilt being in a lovely boarding school with luxuries when I was homeless mm-hmm. and and that was hard for him so I do feel guilty for him that I didn't always think about him in the sense of I thought I was doing the right thing at that you, time I yeah. believed I did yeah but but I didn't consider, I didn't look at the bigger picture. The best thing would have been, hindsight is a wonderful thing, is to take both of my boys and just to get out of there. Take some money and just go. That would have been the best thing. But I can't go backwards, as I keep saying, I can't right. go forwards. Right. And my daughter, you know, I do have some guilt feelings about my daughter. I'm very, very close to my daughter, extremely close. But 
she's been treated more of an adult than a child many a time. Mm. And I love her so much so that she is my best friend, I have to admit. But she is a child and she's still my child. And sometimes she needs that motherly love, not just her friend um, and, and companion that she calls me. But she is, <laughs> even at 27, she still needs that because she's had to grow up to look after the boys, to, to be the person at university. She didn't get a chance to really be herself because she was always worried about what her father was doing or what I was doing, if I was safe, if I wasn't. So mm-hmm. I'm working on that now to try and give her some quality time because she's not really had as much as she deserves. I'm working on making amends with my youngest son and giving him the space he needs. And when he wants to talk, I'm there for him. I'm loving him from afar. And it's hard as a parent because you say, well, my son's not talking to me. He's this age and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help him. The best thing you can do is just just take a step back and just allow them to think themselves because they need that. If there's too many voices around, they can't hear themselves thinking. So they need that. It's the mental health. I would really plead with parents, allow them just to be and allow them to find their own place. Love them. Let them know that you love them. If they need medical help, go seek it, but don't force things upon them because they are trying to work things out in their own in their own minds, which is a battle in itself. Yeah, I mean, everybody has their own journey. I just all while you're talking, I just want to honor that you have been an amazing mother when you did not have a mother. You know, I mean, you had a physical mother, but she was not mothering to you. And so the fact and so the fact that you are so compassionate and so nurturing and so giving um, is really a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's like somehow you figured out how to do that without having an example for you. So I just like I just want to honor you for that, Nina. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you have such a beautiful spirit and a beautiful heart. And the fact that you have overcome so much, you are going to give so many people hope to make different choices for themselves. You know, recognizing that even though you feel like you're in a cage, you are free to make a choice to fly away or to, like you said, drop anchor in a sea of other opportunities. Um, so this is a gift. I mean, this is why when I first heard you in that first room, it was like, oh my gosh, you have such a beautiful message and an a incredible story. Um, so I honor all of what you have experienced that has, when you're in it, you don't think, oh great, this is for me because you're in the crap you know you're struggling you're struggling with all the things you're struggling with and you can't see the meaning or the purpose you know but but the fact that other people have overcome um you know that you have overcome what other people are currently struggling with yeah you hope that there is um there's a better way of of living in this world that you are i don't believe that we are created to suffer you know, I mean, suffering is part of what we do, but the fact that we have choice, we always have a choice to create something a little better, a little better. You know, it may not be like you go from the place where you were put initially to, you know, a, a seven, seven bedroom mansion or whatever, but doing little things that contribute to your yeah. sense of peace and hope and joy. 
No, completely. You, you've hit the nail on the head. But I really would like also to reach out to the abusers for them to see that, look, I'm, I'm not a horrible person. And I think your energy speaks before you do. And people do recognize if you're good or bad. You can only keep a facade on for so long, you see. So people do see that I'm genuinely authentic. And for me to be able to sort of just even give them some food for thought to think, do I need to be the way I am? She mm -hmm. seems like a good person. Maybe I don't need to be that way. Or if they're in the beginning of a relationship, just to give them thought that that's not the way to treat somebody. So they wouldn't, because they wouldn't want that other person to feel like me or go through what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping to appeal to not just those that are being abused or have lived through abuse and trauma or are in a situation that they're stuck or somebody that's in a religious, not religious, sorry, a cultural um, cage, I'll call it. Mm -hmm. It's actually for everybody that I can possibly reach because I don't want to minimize anybody. And even for someone who's out there that wants to start their own business and has no self-belief because they've been told they can't do it, for them to say, oh, she's standing, she's still doing what she's doing, she's not giving up, maybe I'm just being, maybe I'm not being tough enough, maybe I need to just find that strength from inside, maybe I can do it because she's doing it, maybe I can do it. And I would love that if I could help somebody change the life for themselves and change the life for their family and their children, anybody, I would love that. So the picture for me is huge, it's global, it's, it's the universe is almost my space i feel yeah. it's your playground it's my playground that's amazing so i just i'm so overwhelmed by this message that i just can't not try so every day i'm sending out messages to maybe 20 30 people and people have laughed at me as to why are you doing that because it means a lot to me yeah. and if i knock on every door and and i'm so happy that you said that i could be on this podcast i'm, I'm so grateful so thank you so much You're because welcome. one person might hear it that needs to hear it yep. one person might hear it that knows somebody and might that make a call to them and if you do know somebody give them a call check on them but check on people anyway you know with the pandemic we need to be checking on each other we need to be sending just send a nice happy message to somebody yeah. it could, it changes your whole day it just changes everything yeah. And yeah. just one one point to speaking to the abusers, they don't feel loved and worthy either. Otherwise, they wouldn't be treating people so badly, you know, no, so I believe, I believe that I believe they've had their own traumas. But what I would say to them is, let's try and heal you, you yeah. know, stop, yeah. stop passing on the pain. Yeah. Let's turn your pain into your power so that you can feel free of anything that's holding you in and this yeah. in pain is so much so it's suffocating you let's let's let you breathe freely let's let's help that like would, let's help anybody there's no let's, judgment yeah see that's the thing it's like dropping this sense of judgment and coming to this place of compassion for everybody you know that we all have our hurts and we all have our ways of showing up in the world and he played his part into helping you learn to love and accept yourself and spreading your message and mission so i mean it's a strange paradoxical universe we live in but i feel like we're all trying to um come back to this place of loving and accepting who we are and creating you know a beautiful life for ourselves and for the rest of the world oh gosh yeah definitely yeah. So the last question I have for you, Nina, is um, because because the podcast is called Wake Up to Real Love. How do you define real love? 
Real love is definitely from within. People chase love and a chase love is not a love. People look for love within other people and that isn't your love. Some people say, I'm never going to meet anybody. I'm never going to meet the love of my life. But they're looking on apps. They're looking on different places that they will never find the right person. You might find somebody that you think you're in love with and you may be in love with that person. But until you find the love here within You'll never really experience what love is. And love is magical. It's, it's not painful. It's, it's free. It makes you feel, it's very hard to describe actually, but I just feel so happy all the time and so free and so in, um, it's, it's, it, you can't really keep it to yourself. You can't, you want to pass it on. It's almost like something you want everyone to feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, you really do. And and it becomes quite overwhelming, I have to admit. I would happily hug everybody I see in the streets, but they would just probably think I was just doing But you just don't want anybody else to feel unhappy. And you just, yeah. So don't chase love. Start with here and the right people will come to you. I do believe that. Yeah. And you've got to stop giving time to the wrong people because they block your path to get to the right people. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's that roomy quote um you know stop seeking outside for love eliminate the blocks and barriers that prevent you from experiencing your own love yeah and and rather than saying i need to lose weight i I, my hair's not very long i don't like my hair i wish it was like her start saying i could do with losing a bit of weight but you know what i have the beautifulest eyes or i've actually so good at problem solving Look at the positives. Yeah. If you want to do something about losing weight or if you've been told like I have all my life that I'm not pretty enough or good enough, I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on I know inside I'm a good person. Nobody can ever say that or take that away from me. I know inside my heart is pure. Mm-hmm. So look for something within you that you agree with and it's not superficial because your inner peace means more than the face that you project to everybody. Right. And by, the way, shine. and by the way, anybody who ever told you that they must have been blind because you are beautiful both inside and out. I mean, you're such a beautiful woman. So how can people get in touch with you, Nina? Or so my Instagram is Nina underscore the Brit. Um, because I'm quintessentially tomato, tomato, <laughs> tomato, tomato. And my website is Nina Alt spelled N-I-N-A-A-O-U-I-L-K.com. I'll be bringing a book out very soon called Master Your Life, Live the Life of Your Dreams. It's a self-help book. So please look out for that. And I'm going to be speaking in Detroit on April the 10th. The tickets are available from my Instagram link tree. So hopefully I will see you there. or I will be imagining that you're watching me from your sofas and logging in um, electronically. And I'll have that support from you, which would be amazing. Uh, Yeah. And so when when you come to Chicago, we can go stand on the street corner and just give free hugs to everybody that passes. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. Let's make sure we do that. (laughs) So watch this So (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So so what I say at the end of every podcast, my mantra of the podcast is the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. So it all starts with a sense of, you know, love and acceptance for who you are, where you are, you know, no matter where you are um, and knowing that this too shall pass and you can create a, you know, a better version of yourself and, you know, a more beautiful life 
your ultimate creator. Um, so for anybody who's listening, if you, if this resonated with you, please subscribe and, you know, write reviews for the wake up to real love podcast. If you know that, uh, somebody that this may help, please share it and pass it along. Uh, for any more information about me, you can contact me on Facebook, Instagram, or clubhouse at the awakening with Dawn. And, um, Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Nina, for being here. I really appreciate your presence, your beautiful gift to the world. I appreciate so thank, you. thank you. Yeah. So every day, listeners, wake up to more and more real love. See you next time. Take care. Bye. Subscribe to the Wake Up To Real Love podcast. Leave five-star reviews. And, of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.